We're grateful to uh, Christian Concern for this opportunity to be with you and to share some of our thinking. We don't really like tackling negative subjects as a rule, um, and, uh, uh, but we realize, of course, that we do need to face some of the reasons for the decline in the church, which we've witnessed and attempted to combat during our long ministry. We ourselves have always thought laterally, and we've learned to turn difficulties into opportunities, moving from the negative to the positive, and in always adjusting our strategy of mission to the prevailing conditions. So in this seminar, we will offer an analysis of the many years of change that we have seen in our nearly 70 years of ministry. Um, we re recommend Peter Brierley's um, consultancy research, which has produced um, all the um, UK uh, censuses for the past 10 years. He looks at the um, major, well, since the time 1970s, every yeah. 10, 10 years since the 1970s. Mm -hmm. He looks at the major global and UK trends for 2020 to 2030 mm -hmm. in his recent publication, Does the Future Have a Church? Mm -hmm. Or perhaps we should say, mm -hmm. Does the Church Have a Future? Indeed. These are the questions we should be asking, particularly about the UK. Now, Monica's had many years of experience in church growth field, and uh, she's worked with Peter. Uh, she'll be drawing upon some of his statistics to set the scene. Um, we will then share with you some of our own experiences and the challenges which we've faced in our ministry, um, and uh, many of which we still face today. Mm. So we'll look at the growth of Christianity, first of all, worldwide. And the picture we get is that globally, Christianity is still growing. But Europe, having once been the most um, Christian continent, uh, on, on the globe, with uh, uh, the UK being one of the most Christian countries, we've now dropped well down in the global ratings. Mm. The Europeans were the missionaries in the 18th and 19th centuries. Then North America, especially the USA, took the gospel to the rest of the world in the 20th century. Mm. And it looks as though the Asians and the Africans will be carrying the baton forward in the 21st century. Yeah. Of course, there are ups and downs when one expression of Christianity is overtaken by another and some of the older ones have even disappeared. Now we've seen the virtual loss for example of the Syrian church um, in our own lifetime in very recent years um, which was big of course in the uh, New Testament period. Um, it was a major sector but now it's in danger of extinction. Um, also I mean none of the seven churches in the book of Revelation have survived. Mm. Now this next slide looks at membership. Now membership and attendance are rarely the same. Mm. Membership denotes making a commitment to a particular congregation or fellowship, whereas attendance is variable. It can be once a year, once a month, or once on a Sunday, twice on a Sunday, or even all day as I, would, as I did as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at this chart uh, showing the membership, um, uh, the, the membership numbers in all the churches of the 17 years shown here. Church membership fell from, 16, uh, from 6 million in the nation to less than 5 million. Now the left-hand side shows the proportion of Christians in church membership with each group over those years. And the, with the yellow being the Anglicans and Catholics and the Presbyterians, mm -hmm. the dark red being Baptists and Methodists, mm -hmm. and the other denominations being in the blue. Mm -hmm. Note that it is the yellow group which is declining at the most rapid rate, mm -hmm. and the other denominations are growing just slightly. Now, when we started in ministry, the UK was considered to be a Christian country. 
with all the Christians um, belonging to one or, or other of six denominations, just six denominations, actually. Now, of course, there are, what is it? 270. 270 denominations. In the UK, in the but not worthwhile, worldwide, there are 48,000 denominations God. with six million congregations mm. growing at 1.4%. A divided church, yes, mm. <laughs> very much. The closure of non-conformist, <laughs> well, fragmented, yeah. yes, that's right. The, the closure of non-conformist churches, like the Methodist church in particular, especially in rural areas, uh, has led to a massive decline in the second half of the last century. Um, and it even continues um, by 70%, actually, wasn't it, mm. in the most recent 30-year period. Mm. Now, let's go to the next one. This one shows churchgoers compared with the population for just the one year, the year 2000. Mm. This includes both members and attenders, and the overall decrease in percentage terms is estimated to have dropped about 12% in the nation mm. in the year 2000, and is estimated to have fallen to about 7% mm. in 2030. And during this period, of you know, the, period of the, UK, the population of the UK has grown by approximately 5 million. From just over 62 million to nearly 67 million. Oh, comparisons are odious, really. But uh, this graph does show the English church, that's the red line, of course, faring rather better than the Scottish, the blue line. But this simply reminds us that whereas there may be growth in one area, it's not necessarily universal. Mm. Now, churchmanship is another way to measure the church. And this graph looks at the trend this way rather than, than by denomination, mm -hmm. and it runs over a 40-year period. Those with an evangelical bias have fared the best, while the broader liberal stance shows an even greater decline. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, across the board, whatever the churchmanship, all churches here are in decline. Next one. Um, I, I find this chart one of the most chart, one of the most helpful and interesting, mm -hmm. as it looks at the kind of area in which Christianity is surviving, even if it is not growing. Mm. Now, we can perhaps expect decline in rural areas or on council estates, but the interesting line is the red one at the top, which shows that the attendance in inner city areas is maintaining its presence. It has decreased by only 10%, as against 61% in the remote rural areas. Mm. Why do you think this is? Well, I think it's probably most... Uh, due to immigrants, um, mm. particularly the African churches are swelling the numbers yeah. in inner city areas. Yeah. We've been looking at five different ways of presenting statistics. Mm. The figures are useless unless you can learn something from them mm. for planning for the future. Mm. Each of these tells us something different and gives us le leads to go on, especially if we want to create some change. Mm -hmm. They can be used positively and negatively. But the one thing they do is accentuate the need for action. Well, if we look at the situation in uh, the 50s and 60s. We don't have exact figures for the 50s, as it was not mm. until the 70s and the 80s that there was any attempt to unite figures of individual mm. denominations. Right. Up until then, although the state did keep a note of what was happening in the Church of England, as was a state church, the nonconformist denominations each kept their own figures. And there was limited statistical cooperation between churches in Britain. Yep, George Austin in New Directions, May 2005, reported that the Church of England in the 1950s was smug and confident. I like his description of high, low and broad, which was high and crazy, low and lazy, broad and hazy. 
but none of them would ever meet. Mm. Now, the class system or the gentleman versus player syndrome ruled in every sector of society. Not just cricket. Not just cricket, no, in the 50s. <laughs> and although this gradually lost, has lost its relevance in the rest of society, it still remained in most churches for much longer. Yes, the 1950s was a socially conservative period of reconstruction mm. following the end of the Second World War. It was full employment and a general atmosphere of optimism. Mm. Sunday observance was strict. Mm -hmm. Even the swings in the park were tied up and on Saturday nights that no one could use them on Sunday. Yes. Shops were shut and sporting events were barred. Mm. Most churches were relatively full and three quarters of the nation's children went to Sunday school. Um, by uh, uh, the uh, nation's, all the, the nation's children on a, a daily basis in school ha had a time of worship um, and Bible teaching every week. Clergy mm. were high status and the churches played an important part in the life of the nation. There were no other religions in Britain, not, not counted anyway, and there were only six registered denominations, mm -hmm. and they were Anglicans, Methodists, Baptists, Congregational, Presbyterians, and Roman Catholics. It was a very different world in those days, wasn't mm, it? Really? It was indeed. Rapid changes in the 1960s saw the end of petrol rationing, the beginning of the youth culture, the pop age, uh, people began to visit the seaside at the weekends, and so church uh, attendance declined. There was plenty of work for everyone, and wages were rising. It was a decade searching for a new identity mm. that produced the flower people, mm. the teddy boys, the mods and rockers with yeah. their motorbike gangs, yeah. and the make love not war culture. Yeah, the 1960s also saw the rise of political liberalism, the abortion um, act, Legalized, legalized abortion in 1967, uh, followed by the um, Sexual Offences uh, Act um, that um, uh, legalized homosexual activities between consenting males. Then the Theatre Act virtually um, uh, opened the door, really, for the um, uh, por pornography age, really. Uh, and the 1969 Divorce Reform Bill, uh, that made divorce much easier and, uh, and with the coming of the contraceptive pill all around the same time all contributed to the decline of family and marriage. Now changing one area of life invariably demands change in others, yeah. requiring different strategies with different opportunities. Mm. So mm. we turn now to why yeah. the church has declined so rapidly since the 1950s. When social institutions were changing the changing, the church failed to give creative leadership. Yeah. And here are two major reasons. Mm. Yep, the two major reasons that I, I believe are unbelief in the church, um, which starts in the pulpit and not in the pews. It originates in the theological colleges and divinity faculties of universities, as, as I can bear um, personal testimony. Uh, it's rooted in the um, methodology of biblical study, which um, uh, approaches the scriptures from a negative, destructive um, standpoint, rather than um, uh, for the intention to pursue biblical truth. Hence, the uh, basis of uh, theological liberalism becomes unbelief rather than the pursuit of divine wisdom and ultimate truth. Mm. And then there's sociological incompetence. This is an outcome of academic snobbery, actually, mm -hmm. among theologians who have traditionally hated sociology. Yeah. 
Hence it tells you are not taught the basics of the social structure, mm -hmm. and they are left with no analytical tools to That's understand the problem. forces of social change that are driving society. Yeah. And the bewildering pace of change has left the church unable to exercise creative leadership in the nation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are other reasons for decline, mm -hmm. aren't there? And now we look, we'll look at some of those. The, the growing weakness of family life in the nation dates really back to the 1960s. It was from that time that the values of the world began creeping into the church. The decline in church attendance began to cause panic among clergy and church leaders. Mm -hmm. The search began for new ways of accommodating the new culture of youth and freedom from the constraints of Victorian values that had resurfaced during the 1950s in the aftermath of World War II. Mm -hmm. This was really the beginning of the charismatic movement based upon the New Testament teaching that brought a new freedom in worship, in personal relationships and in theology and practice, but it did not evangelize the nation by reaching unbelievers in significant numbers. Instead, they drew people from the traditional churches, and at best this was transfer growth rather than new growth. Mm -hmm. They opened the door to a more relaxed attitude also to issues of morality mm. and the world began to move into the church in a big way that paved the way for homosexuality, mm. divorce, remarriage and family breakdown. Yeah, the greater in the involvement of Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement showed another reason for decline in the loss of the prophetic element. We can't emphasize that enough, the loss of the prophetic in preaching the gospel and the teaching and practice of the church was really very serious. Evangelical preachers today use the first three chapters of Genesis that declare the fall of human beings mm -hmm. and then jump straight to the New Testament and the announcement of God's answer to human sin in the gospel. This movement away from the whole Bible to an almost exclusive emphasis upon the New Testament um, concentrates the teaching upon the Gospels and, the, and mm -hmm. such books as mm -hmm. Ephesians, but it misses out the whole of the Old Testament in which God chose to reveal his very nature and purposes uh, through the message of the prophets. Um, and it neglects the majesty of God, the God of creation, and the history of his dealings with his chosen people. In fact, this even opens the door to anti-Semitism throughout the country and it encourages replacement theology that is embraced by most of the new churches. Replacement theology is an invention of the devil to undermine the Great Commission and to divert the church away from the whole purposes of, of salvation for humanity. Mm. A new type of Christianity was encouraged through the charismatic movement that centered around personal faith issues and individualism, mm. with a me-centeredness in teaching and in worship, mm. particularly in its popular songs. Mm. But this me-centeredness is a reflection of a trend in wider society, which the church has embraced rather than refuted. Mm. A church has turned inwards rather than seeing itself as part of the whole of God's plan. Mm. The result has been a movement away from the recognition of our total dependence upon God uh, to a Christianization of the world's reliance upon human endeavor and human achievement, uh, as though we can solve all the problems facing uh, humanity, mm. which is probably one of the reasons why God has now released this mm. pandemic into mm. the into the world. 
And that we thought it might be helpful if we speak about our own 70 years of experience of ministry and focus off social changes that have reshaped the church during our lifetime. We started in ministry in the 1950s in a tough inner city church in West London, where West Indian immigrants were settling in large numbers, who later became known as the Windrush generation, after the name of the first ship that brought them in. Mm. Uh, word of our work went all around the immigrant communities and large numbers um, began coming to our church. And this, of course, attracted the attention of the press. Mm. And it wasn't long before I began writing and speaking and publicly about the problems facing the newcomers um, and uh, uh, all their needs around the problems of immigration. But in 1958, I remember, you published your first book called Black and White in Harmony. Yep. Now, it came out at the same time as the Notting Hill riots. Which I didn't do. Yeah. I didn't organize. No, no. <laughs> we sent the book to the bestsellers list. And Cliff <laughs> began doing radio and television programs, including a weekly broadcast to the West Indies on the BBC Caribbean service. Yep. Mm -hmm. Every week, I used to go up to Bush House in the... Uh, in, mm -hmm. uh, in, it's central London and, mm. and, and send out a broadcast, um, mm. a sort of letter from London about what's happening among the immigrants there. Anyway, the, mo the most important um, mission principle we learned during those years this time was to start where people are, yeah, that's not true, where yeah. we think they should be. Mm. So we taught, you know, we had to teach some of them to read and write even. Yeah. Um, but this is, it, but other things such as crossing cultures, all one in Christ, and recognizing and accepting differences yeah. were very important. Yeah, we, we had a great ministry actually in our church mm. in the, uh, the Western area of London, um, but we were headhunted for, for a much more prestigious church in North London, in Tottenham, where we spent 10 years. Uh, very happy years actually we, we had a great ministry there um, far from seeing uh, the church in decline as uh, i'm afraid most churches were in that day our congregation grew steadily throughout the 10 years that we were there um i was three times appointed uh, chaplain to the mayor um and uh, we were highly involved in all the social life of the community even the spurs <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> no, please don't get on with that. <laughs> um, with our, our church actually became known as the only multiracial congregation in, in London. Um, I even received letters from around the world uh, addressed to uh, uh, Reverend Hill, um, London. <laughs> and they reached me. <laughs> um, uh -huh. was often, uh, it, it was often the... the we were often in the national news as well as the mm. local news, mainly because one of our congregation worked for the PA. Yeah. Now, many inner city churches were closing, and we then felt called to minister in an area where the church was weakest mm. and to experiment with the new forms of new methods of evangelism. Mm. So we moved to a small church in the east end of London where we founded the Newham Community Renewal Program that became the largest church based urban mission program in Britain. And which also attracted the attention of Donald Cogan, mm -hmm. the Archbishop of Canterbury, who asked us to join him in leading an, an outreach to the nation. If you have read our book, The Reshaping of Britain, you will know our story, so we won't elaborate on that. No, I hope you have read Reshaping of Britain. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It does give a lot of information about what's happened in the church. And, okay, mm -hmm. so we better get on with our own experience now from the 1970s. Um, our time in the East End of London was important for learning new methods of ministry. 
um, of which uh, we'd like to share a little bit of this with you now. Our call was to the inner city where only 0.5% of the population attended church. Just think of that, just half a percent. And leaders in all walks of life ministered to rather than with the local people. Yeah, yeah. Now this was a concept of paternalism from Victorian times. But the whole church, um, the whole church was sort of based on that um, oh, paternalistic, wasn't it, mm -hmm. of, of serving the people. Of serving the people, yeah, servicing rather, the people. Servicing, than, yes, rather servicing than rather joining with mm -hmm. them in the mission of yeah. the church. Yeah. Now we hit the challenge um, of divided camps, of conservative evangelicals who only um, concerned with saving souls and liberals um, who were meeting the social needs of people, but they didn't have a gospel. We said it was not an either or, mm -hmm. but a both and. Yeah. We created a new term, community-based evangelism. Just remember that, community-based evangelism. Mm -hmm. That was our watchword. Um, was the whole, um, summarized really our mm -hmm. strategy for evangelism. Now, the churches were so weak that they willingly came together, uh, even though they were very, very different in their theology and, 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 and so on, and churchmanship. Um, uh, and uh, we found actually many um, great um, advantages in um, uh, e e even in the weakness of churches in bringing them together in, in unity. Now, the experiment of encouraging local people to reach local people. This is the thing that really yeah, worked. Bore yeah. much more fruit and it changed relationships. Mm -hmm. And even many of the incomers who came for the experience mm -hmm. stayed with us and became indigenized. And some are still there. Some are still there. That's mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. Um, on the national scene, our first um, action was to organize uh, a national congress on evangelism in April 1980, which kick-started the decade of evangelism, the, the 1980s as a decade of evangelism. The, the congress was held at Prestatyn in North Wales, which drew 2,000 delegates from all over the country and linked with spring harvest for young people, which had just been formed the previous year, 1979. Now, this Congress focused upon new methods of evangelism and church growth mm -hmm. and emphasised the need for a, a unique strategy for each church in different areas, right. such as inner city and suburban, mm -hmm. rural and urban, urban industrial mm -hmm. centres. Mm -hmm. You see, there was no one blueprint to suit all situations. That's right. Well, we ran into problems then with the Evangelical Alliance with whom we were working um, in regard to the strategy for evangelism. We advocated um, that the decade of evangelism in the 1980s should begin uh, at a local level, ensuring that every member of the church could share their faith with their neighbours. And this, of course, was long before the days of, the, of Alpha. Um, evangelism would then move uh, from um, the local church to regional churches working together. Uh, and then finally um, to nationwide um, mm -hmm. by the end of the decade. But the EEA only recognised the crusade evangelism and yeah. they insisted on reversing the progress by inviting both Lewis Palau and Billy Graham early in the decade, mm -hmm. which said, we, we said was like putting the What's roof it? on the house before the foundation were probably laid. laid. Exactly, yeah. And it was really this point um, where, where I began leading a, a team of those who were seeking a more prophetic e emphasis uh, upon mission. And I linked together a group of church leaders from across the denominations to form the British Church Growth Association as a separate charitable trust mm -hmm. in 1982. 
Now, this decade of evangelism actually petered out without making any real impact upon the nation. And the Church of England had a 1990s yeah. decade of evangelism, which I'm afraid faced rather a similar fate. Exactly. So now let's look at... Um, the 1980s uh, on. Look at the 80s, yeah. What we did then. Mm. Our first entry into politics was leading the research for the parliamentary inquiry into video analysis in 1983. Yeah, and that's really what brought us into um, mm. parliamentary work. Uh, the work of the Lords and Commons Family and Child Protection Group, although not um, connected with any church, has strong Christian links through its members. The reports presented to Parliament have been influential in terms of drawing attention to the serious social consequences of neglecting support for the marriage-based family. And this can be seen in the damaging um, of the life chances of children and having severe economic outcomes, both for individuals and for the nation. Now, we mentioned earlier that um, transfer growth in the church does not bring about an increase in the body of Christ. It just moves people from one church or one area to another, rather like shuffling a pack of cards. Now, the children of believers are what we call biological growth, and in natural orders, they only replace their parents when they die, mm. and not all children become true believers. No, so true. the only ones who bring about any increase in the total number are those new believers who have come from, from among non-believers. Mm. This is why evangelism is so important. Now, not everyone, of course, is called to be an evangelist, but we are all called to be witnesses. That was the term that Jesus gave mm. to his own disciples. Mm. And we should all be able to talk about our faith to others and be able to answer their questions ourselves, um, especially in these days now. Um, and we're also called to be... Um, uh, to help, help disciples, disciple <laughs> new believers, Precisely. help them go on the next step. Yeah, that's right. Now, the Great Commission in Matthew 26 is not an optional extra. Mm. The command is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Mm. Aside, silence, mm, Christian. Yeah, yeah, that's you, what you, yeah I was going to say that. Yeah, you, okay, you I see. Let's both say a silent Christian is not a good witness. But they can be a bad witness, like mm. an out-of-date notice board, yeah. giving the wrong message. That's right. Mm. In the 1980s, it was easier to plant a new church than to revive a traditional church. Although we were called to both renew the old and plant new expressions. Yeah. Now, this planting of churches raises yet other issues, because we already have more than enough church buildings. Mm. One of the first things the BCGA did was to hold a conference on church planting, drawing well-known speakers from many denominations with much experience. The ensuing book, How to Plant Churches, was sold out almost immediately. Which you wrote, of course. No, 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 I edited. No, okay. no, it was all these major speakers who were the main ones there. Yeah, okay. uh, the interview, um, and, and although initially um, the Anglican Church found it difficult, yeah. The church planting movement has gone much further. Mm. The Anglican Church found it difficult. It already had a church in every parish. Yeah, right. could plant new ones. Yeah, right. But they have found ways of generating new life in some of their more ancient churches now mm. with new strategies of mission. And we've even got two members of our own family. Doing this at in, the moment, yeah. Different yeah. mission yeah. areas, yes. Yeah. Okay. We really believe that God was calling us back to the word of God and especially to the message of the biblical prophets. Yep. Yeah. And... Uh, 
it was at this point really in church history in 1984 that uh, we saw the need for a magazine that would offer a biblically based comment on current affairs alongside um, the message of the teaching of the prophets, uh, the writing prophets of the Bible, of course I'm meaning, um, and the whole subject of prophecy. We had recently founded um, Prophetic Word Ministries with the similar objectives. So the magazine Prophecy Today was launched in 1985 with Marshalls paying for the launch and the first year's support. But within three years, it was the best-selling Christian magazine in the country, which showed the hunger for biblically-based prophetic teaching to give an understanding of the times in which we are living. Mm. And on the world scene, uh, the 1980s saw a rapid increase in Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement, mm. which led to the formation of new churches. Now, when the charismatic movement spread worldwide, mm. many of the Western nations took the spiritual gifts for themselves and did not understand the real reason for the gifts was to equip the church to fulfill the Great Commission. I, I just, we can't emphasize that enough, no, really, no. can we? Mm. The gifts are not just given for ourselves. They are given to equip yeah. the church to fulfill the Great Commission. I remember they got it right in Singapore. We were there during the, yeah. their renewal awakening that yeah. time. And they knew the gifts were for service. Mm. And they took the gospel to their neighbors in Southeast Asia. Absolutely. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. Well, they didn't even admit people to membership of the church until Unless they, they brought somebody else to Christ. Christ. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yes. It was really great. Yeah. Um, but many of the newer churches in the Western world, there was a, a rise of teaching that lacked biblical foundations. Mm -hmm. Although they went back to the Bible, the actual teaching. Doctrine and biblical theology were rapidly replaced by an emphasis upon experience. Inevitably, prophecy suffered from this emphasis uh, that changed it from declaring the word of God, the unchanging word of God for our times to popular predictions of revival. And there was a holding the balance between experience, heart knowledge and head knowledge mm. was always a problem. It was, mm. yeah. Then the Kansas City prophets came, uh, who I got to know quite well. Um, I went and visited them first of all in the USA and I had lots, <coughs> lots of doubts. Uh, they brought a new dimension in prophecy. Um, take on that. With an emphasis upon personal <laughs> messages of encouragement for individuals. That was their emphasis. Mm. But in our view, this trivialized prophecy yeah, and moved right. it away from the awesome declaration of the word of God for our times. Yes, the biblical basis of mission was further eroded in 1994 by the coming of the Toronto Blessing that brought many wild excesses of exuberance into the churches of all denominations, while others embraced New Age teachings that allowed the spirit of the age to weaken any kind of biblical prophetic impact of the gospel at a time of radical social change in the nation. We can't emphasize that enough, that all the, the, these changes were taking place in the church, you know, of new teachings coming in yeah. um, at a very time of uh, uh, socio-economic change in the nation. Mm. So when you look at the, what was happening in the church, you see there was a time when growth and decline mm -hmm. were seen alongside each other, mm -hmm. with, the, with many of the traditional churches continuing to decline alongside the expansion of many church, new churches mm -hmm. by transfer. We need to bring evangelism back into the picture in our churches, concentrating on different kinds of evangelism and church planting in a way that will be heard and embraced. Mm. Then the need for discipling 
by teaching and nurturing would follow recognizing the spiritual needs, the spiritual gifts uh, are not just a prerogative of leaders or of certain individuals. We all have gifts which should also be recognized by others. We need to practice whole body ministry. Mm, that was the name of the, one of the little booklets I well, produced at that time. You did, yeah. Which is now being on um, community of believers, isn't it? Yep. Mm -hmm. One of the major challenges we need to face is to remove the hindrance often to be found in churches yep. in both leadership and laity. Mm -hmm. yep. We need to affirm small churches and help them to build up. The Lord must like small churches because there are so many of them, aren't <laughs> yeah. Now, another difficulty to challenge was a very necessary one, so was to change the mindset of both leaders and laity and help them think beyond their current understanding. Mm -hmm. When we were discovering new insights in the 1980s, we jointly established the Centre for Contemporary Ministry to run in-service training courses for clergy. Yeah. Clergy were often the stopper in the bottle. We recognised that. I mean, I had to recognise that I was at some point mm -hmm. in my ministry. And we felt it important, rather than just to criticise the clergy, but to help them to think laterally. Our two most popular courses were gaining a wider vision and turning vision into strategy. Mm -hmm. But we did do others on pastoral counselling and spiritual gifts and a number of other subjects. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting that more than often than not, the clergy who came on these courses were at the end of their tether and just about to leave the ministry. Mm -hmm. And we were almost like their last call for help. Yes, we were. <gasps> a great privilege, but a great responsibility. Yes, these in-service training courses became very popular, actually. Where we had so many ministers come from all mm -hmm. different denominations. Mm -hmm. and, um, Sharing their experiences with others mm -hmm. in similar situations did help them, mm -hmm. and it also gave an outlet for thinking and new research. Mm -hmm. Well, we wanted churches to be able to manage um, and to uh, cooperate um, in natural church development, which is what yes, you are um, very much involved in that, which encouraged healthy churches mm -hmm. and identify the ways that the eight quality characteristics interact. And well, you did, some, you, you did some research well, at yes, that time, yes, didn't with you? With Christian Schwartz in, um, uh, in Germany, mm -hmm. and together we did it. Um, it was well, you did the research London, all over, all all over, over Britain, Britain. Yeah, we you? had it's a case of looking at empowering leadership and um, mm -hmm. uh, making these. The, uh, the things which were happening in the church, giving them a, a, a dimension. Well, you identified uh, eight quality characteristics. Yes, that's a, a leadership has to be empowering. Ministry has to be gift orientated. Mm. Spirituality has to be passionate. Mm. Structures need to be functional. Mm. Worship services need to be inspiring. Absolutely. Small groups need to be holistic. Yeah. And evangelism needs to be need orientated mm. and relationships need to be loving. Absolutely. Mm. Yes, there's the eight quality mm. characteristics. Mm. And you used to use the um, um, strongest, strongest to help the weakest. To, 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 to build up the weakest. You could always do better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, now we we'll get on to transforming society. Now we've always been fully committed to a gospel of personal salvation as well as a policy of social action. And we saw this um, uh, as the policy pursued by Wilberforce and the Clapham Group. I did a, quite a bit of research on that and published a book on uh, Wilberforce. Um, but um, uh, the, the group not only succeeded in ab abolishing slavery, but they also worked to the transformation uh, of society and the moral and spiritual life of the nation, um, as well as changing social conditions. Yeah. Now, we discussed this at length with Archbishop Rowan Williams, with whom I was uh, very close um, mm -hmm. uh, during his time in the uh, uh, 
in, in Lambeth Palace. Um, but, um, and we also had numerous meetings with Christians. We were also working very closely with Christians in both houses of parliament um, who were keen to follow a similar policy to Wilberforce and the Clapham sect, as yes. they were known. So after these talks in 2003, we found an organisation called Transform UK, mm -hmm. which in turn founded the group called Christians in the Workplace, which by 2005 mm -hmm. was affiliated with 85 Christian associations in the professions, yeah. commerce mm -hmm. and in industry. Yep. Today is active right across the country, including groups of Christians praying in industry and commerce, and in most lo local government offices and departments in Westminster and Whitehall, including 10 Downing Street. Exactly. We have got little groups in all these big industries and yeah. small, um, and they are really being very effective. It's their objects is not just to pray, but to find ways of making the gospel influential in the workplace. Um, it, it, their, their work is very much behind the scenes uh, and avoids publicity. This is why you may not have heard much about them, but even in 10 Downing Street, I can tell you they are very active, um, especially right now <laughs> in the present situation. Um, they're growing in influence across Britain. And this we regard as the true ecclesia of the Lord Jesus at work in the nation. Mm -hmm. Now, on the social justice side, um, we didn't neglect that because the Zong project of bringing a replica 18th century slave ship into London was part of the commemorations of the 200th anniversary of the abolition of the slave trade That's right. in 2007. And we, we advocated really uh, using these um, anniversaries, anniversaries national anniversaries, to, to do something yeah. for the gospel. There was a service in the Westminster Abbey and many other projects throughout the UK. And it, they all gave Christians the opportunity of expressing their horror mm -hmm. at the grave injustices and cruelties shown to Africans who are victims of colonial slavery. Now this work today is continuing in the Movement for Justice and Reconciliation, which we founded, um, who support work am among Caribbeans, uh, particularly the black minority groups of, of, of where young people are particularly in need in inner city areas. Mm. And they're very much involved just now in the whole um, the BME, which is um, exactly. uh, one of the ones groups suffering the most. Well, we do a lot of research and, mm. and we're researching this now. Yeah. And other paramedic, uh, parachurch organizations such as the Barnabas Trust and Voice for Justice, and, and they give expression to biblically based concern for issues of social justice, mm. especially among minority groups that are often overlooked in wider society. And, and they give expression to biblical truths that are often neglected in the mainline denominational churches. Mm. Now in politics, I work with Parliament to encourage change in laws to become more biblical and ethic, ethics expanded considerably. Yeah, we look at the impact of cultural change. The attack upon the marriage-based family in Britain uh, has increased steadily since the year 2000. Um, the spread of the LGBT teaching in schools, the Marxist humanist culture driving the political policy uh, uh, has led to the legalization, of course, of same-sex marriage and the recognition of gender change. And while all this socio-political change was taking place, the influence upon the, of the church upon the affairs of the nation grew weaker. That's the point that we are making now. Yeah, Looking yeah. back at the, in hindsight to the 50-year period of social change from the 1960s, we can see 
charismatics busy falling about laughing and prophesying imminent revival. Bible-believing Christians busy trying to defend their faith from false teaching. Liberal church leaders only too happy to go along with the current cultural change. Conservative evangelicals running for cover inside the book. Yes, traditional middle-of-the-road church leaders bewildered by the rapid changes in society, the loss of professional prestige of the clergy and the rise of unbelief. And the result has been a, a silent church. A silent church. Which brings us up to the present situation. We are now at a crucial moment in the history of our nation. In our ministry, we've been a lone voice for many years, warning that the time was coming when God would shake all the nations. We received this message as far back as 1986 at a conference in Israel, seeking the word of God for our times, when we were drawn to Haggai 2, verses 6 and 7, that God was going to shake all nations with a global pandemic unless there was repentance and turning. The church has to, and now it's here now, the church has to take the opportunity presented by this pandemic mm -hmm. to change its fundamental mindset from the performance of traditional programs of worship and ritual activities to devoting all its energies into getting the gospel out into the public arena. We've got a great opportunity now, you mm -hmm. see. The great shaking is with us. Mm -hmm. uh, and the national sh uh, lockdown is a time for each nation in the world to reflect upon its values and the way in which we have deflected from the, the, the truth of the word of God. So now is the time for the church to come back to its foundational mission mm. and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Mm. There needs to be a fundamental change in the raison d'etre of the church or it has no future. Jesus did not only tell his disciples to take the gospel to all the nations, mm. but he also gave them a strategy for evangelism. And he gave them the power to take the mm. gospel, to fulfill uh, the, the, the Great Commission. And it is essential that we now clarify the vision and then move from vision into strategy. The gospel needs to be presented as the only answer to the needs of transforming society mm. and overcoming the gross inequalities that prevent the vast majority of people from fulfilling their potential in life. Yes, the, the great inequalities are there. Mm. Two thirds of the world's population goes to bed hungry at night. You know, this is why God is shaking the whole yeah. world economy. And this means working on programs of social justice in conformity with the values of the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. It um, means getting in, Christians getting involved in politics mm. and openly declaring the word of God by quoting the Bible in Parliament mm. and in the public square mm. and not being afraid of ridicule and opposition, which will inevitably come. And this is really what we're foreseeing as an outcome from the great shaking, because uh, the world will never be the same again. And we've got to expect persecution and actually rejoice when there's opposition to the, to the word of God, uh, which gives us a platform for declaring the truth. We have also to make our witness with other religions in the nation and take our stand on the words of Jesus that there is no other way to the Father other than through him. This will inevitably bring us into conflict with Islam, uh, but declaring the truth is the only way of bringing salvation to those 
who are blinded by false religion. You mm. see, we've, we've allowed um, uh, millions to come into our nation and we've never even bothered to tell them about the, the, the great spiritual heritage of this nation, our, our Judeo-Christian heritage and uh, the, the faith that has led us through so many difficulties in times past that will take us through this one as well, but only if we put our trust in the Lord. Mm. Now we're coming right to the end, we've probably overrun our time, but um, we want to look at this last one and say the church has been asleep and apathetic, symbolise all of this. Yeah. Because they don't know that they are asleep until you wake up. Well, you don't, you don't know you're asleep, do you? No, we, and you don't, you do things in your sleep that they would not do if they were really awake. That's right, and of course we hate the sounds of alarms. Yeah. So. so what will you do in the years ahead? Mm. Are you reading the signs right? Mm. What can we do about it together? Mm. Well, good evening and welcome to our Gospel Issues Live. Um, I hope you enjoyed that uh, amazing, insightful seminar uh, from Cliff and Monica Hill. Uh, we're really delighted to have them with us. They have a vast experience of ministry. Um, can, can we put Cliff and Monica up on the screen? Um, thank you so much for that um, presentation um, and a vast experience that really shows through in it. I think, Cliff, you told me that you uh, First ordained in 1952, um, right. so approaching 70 years of ministry, and mm -hmm. I think it really shows through in that presentation all the uh, pers perspective and insights that you have on where we are and where we've come from. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, we also have Andrea Williams with us as well, um, Chief Executive and Founder of Christian Concern. Uh, great to have you as well, Andrea. Great um, to be and, here. Um, we're really looking forward to uh, your questions. You can uh, ask questions in YouTube, uh, on the chat panel, or else on Facebook in the um, comments section there, and we will try and catch as many of them as we can. Um, so Cliff and Monica, um, thank you so much for that. And you sort of brought us right up to date at the end there, um, which was great. And I wanted to ask, because one really up to date um, uh, figure that sort of emerged over the weekend is, um, this figure of 24% uh, of the population watching or listening to a religious service um, mm -hmm. since coronavirus, and people have got very excited about that. That's much higher than the average church attendance um, mm -hmm. that we've heard about and so on. And um, do you think that this is a, a good sign and something that indicates how God is using uh, this lockdown and coronavirus crisis um, at the present time? Yeah, I think it's a very exciting um, uh, a sign, really, of the times. Um, something really that uh, is to be expected, because um, many, many people um, uh, are confused over what's happening today. The, the, the lockdown is causing a lot of suffering, of course, particularly for families in, in small um, accommodation with a number of children. Uh, and uh, it, it's making people more open to wider um, issues uh, of really what's going on. There many, many questions of, of what, what's causing the pandemic and um, what's the outcome going to be. Yes, there is um, um, 
one thing, other thing which is done, which is very positive in a way, it's made the churches go to the people rather than expecting the people to yes, come yes. to them. Mm. I mean, going online, a lot of them have learned very quickly how to um, mm. minister, even just a ministry to their own congregation, mm. but others are tuning in. And, mm. you know, it's a great opportunity as what's going to happen in the future. Mm. Uh, as long as they don't go back to just doing church the way that they did. Well, we're finding new ways now of communicating, uh, not only with our own congregation, uh, but uh, with other people who would never normally darken the doors of a church. Yeah. And this is an amazing opportunity now. The, 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 the great concern that I have over this is that um, from reports I get from all over the country is that um, ministers and clergy um, are really attempting to do churchy things rather than um, uh, okay. uh, answering the questions that are in the minds of the public at the moment. A lot, lot greater opportunity, I think, when you're doing things like this. But we can't lose the, um, uh, the, the fellowship and the togetherness. Um, fellowship, you can get this kind of fellowship in a, um, a Zoom, Zoom thing like this. You can talk to other people. But there are also... Um, yes, but you see, I mean, there are needs, of course, of the congregation. And, and church leaders ought to be able to find ways of, of meeting the needs of their own congregation, um, having even communion um, via Zoom. But there's also the need for a prophetic declaration of the word of God for our times, of why... Yes, the I think that one of the things that... I'm echoing in over you um, there. I think that one of the amazing things has been to see something like that blessing coming across the internet and actually going quite going viral. Millions of uh, millions and millions of views. Millions of people have listened to that. But I think also in the midst of all of that, whilst people are longing for blessing over their situation and blessing over their family, we must be also speaking to them. Uh, the message, um, the repentance message of the gospel to turn and to really know the Lord Jesus exactly. Christ. And I think that there's also, so I, I love that I love that national anthem and I love that hope, the hope that is in there. But I think we also need to, to be taking the opportunity to spell out what the gospel really is when people are longing for it. Precisely. I think there's also I yeah. think there's also a limit to what we can do virtually. And I think it's fantastic that the numbers are increasing in a time such as this. But we must not allow the church um, to be um, rendered as something that is simply virtual or rendered as something that is non-essential on the ground. Because if we are to be that prophetic voice that you say, then we need to be a presence in the community. We need to be open 24-7, ministering not just to the spiritual needs of each and every person, but to the physical needs. Now, of course, I know that we should be sensible and safe in the way that we do that but we need to be there feeding feeding the the, the physical hunger but also the spiritual hunger yeah, um yeah, the yeah. the health hunger the health yeah. the health problems that people have the mental health problems that people have um mm -hmm. helping them to see to 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 really get to just having community physical yeah. community I, I mean, um, but I'm, also ministering the gospel yeah. to them uh, are you saying really that um the churches should never be closed. I think this, that um, obviously in a global pandemic with the government taking um, drastic measures, 
then we as a church need to be respectful of our governors. That's something that is very important indeed. But to but the, the, the truth is this, if we if supermarkets are open, if we can go to the off license, if we can go to yeah. DIY stores, yeah. even if we can go to GP surgeries, yeah. then if the kind of message that you've been speaking about, Clifford and Monica, which yeah. is that we need a church, we need a we need a nation that will really repent and turn back to Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the nation, the hope of everyone's individual lives, then we need to be saying clearly in the public space and prophetically in the public space that we're open for business, that we're respectful, that we're safe, but you can come here. We can meet you online, of course, we'll respect where you're from, but we are open for business in terms of being able to meet the needs of our community whilst respecting whilst respecting all the safety protocols that mm. the government is asking us to put yeah. in, 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 into place. But yeah. we've and allowed it, ourselves to be right. entirely yeah. closed. Yeah. And, and it should not be beyond the wit of human beings to uh, make such an arrangement. Yeah. But we could have our churches open, mm. but uh, uh, also but the observe, churches, observing yeah. the, uh, the the social distance. But the church is more than buildings. The church is the ecclesia. Yeah, the sure, ecclesia right. are the people. Yeah. That's that's the whole meaning of um, the the church. The, the word church congregates the congregation with the, the ecclesia. The people are the people of God, mm-hmm. and they're the ones who should be by their deeds. They should be showing them, sure. not just say coming to coming to a building. Yeah, a building sure. is just there. If, if can it's I um, training. Can I yeah. ask though? I just want to pick up on this point that you've mentioned quite a lot about being prophetic, having a prophetic yeah. voice. The church needs to be prophetic yeah. perhaps you can just unpack and explain what you mean by that because i think some people might um possibly misunderstand what you mean on that or, or wonder whether you mean one thing or another thing and and talk about um how we can recover a prophetic voice in the sense that you mean well it, it it's always good to turn to the um, the prophets that's really where god god uses them to uh, uh, to bring out the majesty and the greatness of God, um, uh, just to look at Isaiah um, chapter forty, for example, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, and so on? Um, lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these things? Who brings out the starry host one by one? You know, it is just the greatness and majesty of God that um, uh, that we have here. And um, uh, listen to this this word from Isaiah forty five. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Um, uh, This really means, you see, the the, the prophets didn't really distinguish between the, um, the direct will of God and the indirect will. Um, so often, you see, God doesn't have to do bad things to bring judgment on us. We do, we do these things ourselves. We're, we're excellent at, at creating chaos and doing evil things. But God uh, puts his hand upon those very things that we uh, are doing and turn them around to work out his purposes. And that's really the way that I'm 
um, viewing this pandemic. I don't think that God actually created it, but God is undoubtedly using it to work out his purpose, to make us stop and think about our values of how we have drifted away from fundamental um, uh, justice and, and, and equality and truth and love and forgiveness and compassion, all the, the values of the kingdom. As nations all over the world, we have done this. We've We've drifted away from truth, and that's why it's a pandemic. It's all nations, uh, not just our nation, but uh, um, in our nation, well, there's there's many, many things, the, the sort of laws that we have passed in the last 50 years uh, that are de de directly against Scripture. Yes, we should be repenting of these, but each nation needs to face up to its own situation um, and, and uh, the things that should be repenting of and turning to, to the Lord. And I think yeah. one of the things that we've seen when you mentioned those laws is, I mean, what, one of we've called evil good and we've oh. protected in law things mm. that are actually very, um, are evil against God's purposes. And, and the innocent, the innocent, the innocent, our innocent children yeah. are now being taught right. these things as yeah. good in our yeah. schools. And mm. I think if you, we think of the consequences mm. of that for our yeah. children and our children's mm. children, yeah. And our children's children's children, and mm. and they they will not have a godly an idea of who God is or what His plan and His purpose and His ways are in which which to live. So they grow up in a society where um, it's very dark in terms mm. of they have no framework for living. And we we the church, we the bride of Christ, of course, mm, yeah. have the a pub we have a public framework for living to declare, mm. and that's certainly something Clifford and Monica that mm. I. Um, I qualified as a barrister in 1988 and certainly pretty much from that time just afterwards I've become very aware of your work and so I've been following you all these years 30 yeah. years and of course many people would have been following you for 40 years and 50 years and 60 years and, and 70 years even maybe some yeah. now this is an ex you are living history makers oh, I, but, but well, well, you no, can, <laughs> don't don't write us off too soon. We, I'm not. Uh, we, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, the, but the point about this is that you have you're living. I said living. Yes. Living history and living yeah. history to the present, yeah. which makes yeah. us. Which which actually, when you say to us, when you give us those uh, a, a notion of where we are today, when you actually analyze across his across lived history. Yeah. With a prophetic yeah. viewpoint, with some, with yeah. people steeped yeah. steeped but, in in the gospel, you, you're saying uh, charismatics, um, <laughs> it's experience. Um, you're saying declaring revival. Yeah. Conservatives, you're hiding in the book. When we're saying all of these things, I think all of us, we all fit into one of those categories. Yeah. We have to consider it. We have to consider. Yeah. Where where yeah. where have we been? What are we doing? Yeah. And how will we declare? Exactly. Jesus in the public yes. space. What yes. will we yes. do? Yes. So, so there's a question here from Steve Davis on YouTube who says, um, how can the church grow when ministers don't understand repentance or perhaps he means don't preach repentance? And I, I think you would agree with the sentiment behind that, would you? That repentance is vital yeah. and, and central to the kind of prophetic ministry you're talking about. Is that right, Clifford? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it's essential. But um, uh, in your ministry too, in uh, Christian Concern, uh, the, the, the prophetic is very much there. Um, you are standing for truth 
Um, and anyone who's standing for truth um, really is proclaiming a prophetic word of God. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, but as you just say, we have turned upside down. There's a, a, a lovely description in Isaiah chapter 5 from verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and so on. Um, uh, you know, you've got the whole message there of preparing the way of the Lord. That's what the prophets did, prepared the way for Messiah, for Jesus to come. Yes. Yeah. If, so, if you're talking about repentance and uh, coming into, um, repentance means turning, mm. turning away and, uh, and, and not going back to that. But doing something different, you've yeah. got you can't just turn away from something. You've got to replace it with something else. Absolutely, you've got to be positive about it, and yeah. you've got to move forward onto that. And we've got to encourage people to uh, really understand mm -hmm. that when they, yeah. um, you know, conversions a big big repentance time is when yeah. you actually turn yeah. around and you yes. come into that. But mm -hmm. but you should be for always thinking and reassessing and saying mm -hmm. where should we be going next? Yeah. What should we be doing? So, so let me ask you a question then um, that's been asked from a chap called Benjamin Firth. Um, mm -hmm. He says this, um, should we work with liberals for unity or call them out and seek to split? And I was I was very struck, Cliff and Monica, because you said when you started ministry, there's only six denominations. I mean, I kind of find that astonishing. Yeah. Uh, it's never <laughs> been my experience. There's 270 now. And, mm -hmm. and perhaps behind this question is sort of what, what would your advice be to evangelicals in denominations that are becoming liberal and and you know what's your perspective on on all of this well our, our experience in the east end of london was uh, of working with churches of all types yes. and, and that is and getting them to come together liberals and um, yeah conservative on the things that unite yeah and, and because you can always find somewhere to unite um uh, you know, I did a lot of research on Wilberforce and the Clapham sect, and and one of the watchwords of of, of William Wilberforce was um, to work with what he called co-belligerents. So um, even though he was a conservative, he was happy to work with the other um, political on specific well. issues. On yeah, specific issues. On specific If they were um, uh, for him in the abolition of slavery, then he worked with them, whatever their, their other views. And I think there's always something that we can find. Um, uh, you know, we can certainly agree with those who who um, are concerned about the social conditions, for example, and 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 and, and yeah. inequalities in life. Um, I think co-belligerence can go a certain way in it sometimes in the public space on some of these social um, issues that you're talking about. So you will find, for instance, many of the disability lobby are, are very against assisted suicide but that's and the assisted suicide lobby have been seeking to so you're you're all free speech, free speech activists those of us that want to be free to preach the gospel will find perhaps that we can do co-belligerence with people um particularly with um authors and actors and so on and so forth i think that where we cannot compromise however is mm. on what we are repenting from and to and and yeah. who the savior is yeah. yes that's and right. i think and so so yeah. and i think that one of the great confusions in the public mm. space is what does the church actually stand for so one mm. of the most difficult things that i've found in our ministry at christian concern and particularly mm. in the public space mm. when i say a simple thing yeah. uh, such as marriages between one man and one woman 
yeah. uh, exclusively for life or that we are made in the image of God, male and female, yeah. people will, many people in the public space, many people uh, within the media or within politics will say, but uh, many in the Christian church don't agree with that. Even in the Church of England, they're having a discussion about that. Yeah, okay. So the clear sound of the gospel mm. is confused because the message of the church, the mm. variations within the church is not clear. Mm. And so my cry has been, my bewilderment has been, with mm. so many confused sounds, yes, the true. clear sound, the clear mm. sound of the prophetic word of God, the clear sound of the Isaiah and the Jeremiah and the Hosea, the clear mm. sound of what it means to follow Jesus Christ, of what mm. it means to repent, is lost in all the noise. And never more than now, never more than now in a time of COVID-19, um, do we need uh, more a clear message of this is a message of hope. Holiness brings happiness. Turn to Jesus, turn to God, because God made you and knows how best for you to live. Do not get lost in the clamor. Do not be sentimental just about some kind of happy feeling that Christianity might bring or yeah. It's not. It doesn't reflect. It's not going to be an imitation of enough of some meditative approach to something that's just good for you. Rather, it's a declaration of the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that's the yes, gospel yeah. message. At the same time, Andrea, um, we do not shut ourselves off from others. No. Uh, yeah. But we we make it clear where we stand, but uh, we will also look for any way that we can um, uh, uh, share any the, the, share something that, that that they also believe in. So there's there's a point of contact. It's always a point of contact that I'm looking for, yeah. even amongst those who with, with whom I quite violently disagree. If there's a, a glimmer there, so that I I've got a point of discussion. And then I can declare the truth to them. Mm. But I don't lock myself away in my little cage, you know, and 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 don't have anything to do with those um, who I disagree with. Let me let me ask you another question. Let me ask you another question. Carol Pearson on Facebook. Um, surely individuals repent and not nations. Um, how would you oh, answer that? Yeah. On oh, undoubtedly, we should all be repenting every day not just once a year or, or just when we take communion or, or you know when we feel uh, a bit holy yeah. we should all be repenting because we know we fall short uh, of the standards of god mm. uh, as paul says um uh, in in romans i think it's chapter two that uh, we're all fallen short of the um uh, of what god requires of us yes I, but i i i think that what what you what the, your speaker was saying um uh, is can a person repent on behalf of a nation? Oh no, you can't do that. No, 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 no. no there's no such thing as vicarious repentance of, of repenting on behalf of the nation. We're all part of a sinful nation, um, uh, so there should but be. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing? Uh, see that again. I think that we, you know when we've in these great points in hi history when there have been calls to prayer, when there's yeah. been a public witness to the gospel yeah. in yeah. the public space within Parliament in these places. Mm -hmm. To call people to call be, because to help people to understand where we have strayed, yeah. and to say, what do you choose as a nation? I mean, again, if you look at the prophetic books of the Bible, in Jeremiah, he said, you know, you choose you as a nation, Israel. You've chosen dirty, rotten, broken cisterns, dirty water, not the living water. And there's a sense in which, when we speak, in when the church speaks 
to to its community to the community that they're in but also on a public stage on yeah. the in the public sphere we are to say what do you want um what do you want nation yeah. do you want dirty broken rotten systems do you want yeah. these laws that hurt us or do you want beautiful laws will you turn and i think that uh, the the bible shows us that when nations can turn just like families can turn but yeah. i i know of course there is at the end of the day there is Jesus died for each one of us on the cross and we we changed because of individual transformation in Christ. Yeah. Um, but there is a sense in which when we call for families and communities and nations to do the same, and we should be bold about that because right. a nation is either headed towards Jesus or not. Yeah. And yeah. as you so eloquently said in the presentation leading into this live question forum, you said very clearly that we have chosen since the 1960s to choose not to choose God, not to choose his ways, Divorce Reform Act, uh, uh, sexual liberation in the 1960s and all the laws that followed from that, the Abortion Act. These laws did were were, were at, are evil laws. They call evil. They all call evil good and they protect yep. evil in law. So you're orienting to you're orienting away from Jesus, away from God, and that's what a nation has to turn around from. Yes, and, and that and, yes, and and we've been doing this to our children as well. Yes, yes. Even in terms of gender, the latest thing I think, which is deliberately um, turning against the word of God, it is a deliberate um, insult I think to the God of creation, turning our back on Him. Um, because he, uh, in his word, declares that uh, uh, men and women are created in his own image for yes. um, fellowship with him. But, but you see, one thing we mustn't do always, mm. we, we've been seeing us as a negative religion. Mm. And what we have to do is return it around and say the, and tell people the positive things which are coming in here. Mm. Why it is um, mm. the positive thing about... Um, you know, having a monogamous um, relationship, you know, and uh, you have to get this whole um, understanding over that we're not just saying no, no, no. And we we're putting speak, the right things in its place. We should be speaking about ideals and the ideal of marriage. We've been married now, married now, um, what, over 60, 60 years. <laughs> I think wow. 67 years, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, we are really happy together. Um, yeah. And we always have been. I don't think we've ever had a row in our lives. Yeah. Um, you sound surprised about that, Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, it, I think we've much to. I mean, I think it's, um, it's amazing. Let me, let me ask another question. Yeah. Let me ask another question here. So, um, one of your diagnoses was that we're very me-centered, um, individualistic, sort of consumeristic yeah. type of Christianity. How do we get out of that? How, what do churches do to? break through out of that mindset that a lot of Christians well, and a lot I, of churches even have. That, that this whole, um, uh, some of the things which I'm seeing around me now um, are, of happening in our village, for instance, when people um, are thinking of other people within the village mm. and are wanting to um, uh, to, help to help each other, yeah. uh, they're, they're actually looking away from themselves and what they've got yeah. and they're looking towards others. Yeah. And I think that's one mm. of the major things we've, we've really got to do yeah. in the future. Yeah. We've, we've got to turn, um, you know, when I was a child, we were brought up um, God first, mm. others second, self last. Self last yes. and, th and that was That's dinned into us as, mm. as, as children mm. and things like that. Mm. But today's generation have been taught the opposite way around. Mm. Me first, 
everything you know when you when you're at a cv or anything it's got to be me it's got to be putting yourself whereas in our in my day you let other people praise you if you want if they thought you were worth doing but, something but look at the hundreds of thousands who volunteered to help yes uh, in the um uh, emergency that we've got now even just again shopping for people and to um uh, 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 of course the the wonderful way in which the uh, young nurses are caring for uh, yeah. people uh, risking their own lives in uh, th this coronavirus you know th there's so much good in our humanity that is yes that is, it, perhaps it's coming out now brought it's out in the crisis and, and this is something that we should be praising and looking for the good um, rather than uh, uh, just the negative. Mm. And what um, you, you, you sort of complained a bit at the beginning about it being a negative sort of title of, yeah. of presentation. What, what good things would you would you like to tell us that the church has done successfully and that have seen fruit? Well, uh, certainly uh, in this to, to bring it right up to date, really, um, many, many churches are working in their communities um, and uh, uh, taking a lead in um, uh, food banks and all these sort of things and finding new ways, really, of meeting the needs of the lonely and the fearful. Uh, we have a, a gospel of, of love and, and of hope for the future. Uh, and, and that's what we need to um, uh, communicate to others around us. And there are many, many Christians now. Uh, we, we get messages in every day of, of what Christians are doing in their locality. Coming out, uh, a whole bunch of Christians in a particular um, um, street and, or close coming out and singing in the in the in the street singing hymns and yeah. and, and, and um, pe other people coming out and joining them all these sort of things yes they're small things but they're, they're, they yeah. add up really the one thing that we we, we need to do uh, we need to do is is to let people know that you are a christian yeah, absolutely because if they find out that you, you you've done something bad and the, yes. you're a christian they will very quickly blame us That's right. but you know if, if they know you're a christian and that you've got standards and you've got things that you want to do and you're you're willing to help them uh, not just you know um, for, for the right reasons yeah. then you know not just because you've been paid to do it or anything yes. like that but you know you're doing things for the right reasons then that you no know, they'll be attracted to christianity yeah. you know and that's what we ha we have to make christianity attractive to others yeah. you know and, yeah. and you know this 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 um this pandemic really is a challenge to um, the people particularly I think of my generation and other one here because it's our children who are no longer in the in the churches. Well, no, ours, our own are, are all are all sort of the family, believe, but yes. but there are but it's that generations of children, you know, and those are the people we should be reaching first. We should be praying for our grandparents have a, a terrific opportunity at this time. And there are so many something. people who are fearful, and why are they afraid? Because they don't know what's going to happen at death. There is huge fear of death, mm. uh, and this is part of our gospel yes. that Je that uh, Jesus died for us to uh, take away that fear yeah. and to uh, assure us. That so, we so do you think there's a, a remnant, a remnant church uh, in this country that can bring some life and bring some fresh um, um, growth, really, in back into the church again? Yeah. Yes, yeah. but my fear is that the remnant church is looking in on itself and is becoming inward looking, mm. which this, is a, the whole thing mm. of me. I think the other thing, 
it's perhaps mm -hmm. not just that we are it's not always so much um i understand what you're saying when we say that we're quite often we're inward um but i when i travel the country i see so much incredible work being done on the ground yeah. but with with the churches yeah. and i think what we've got to be very um strong to do um yeah. in these days and weeks and months ahead yeah. is to proclaim clearly the reason why we're doing it so not, not allowed ourselves to be relegated to being a social service to mm. doing just the good works to doing the right. to, to doing the food banks with the gospel edition right. doing, the, doing, doing the street pastors with the gospel edition opening up our doors to be 24 7 i say the church should be open 24 7. we right. should be rehabilitating the drug addicts with the gospel those that are you know, all, all, I mean, all of these things that really work. So this sense of the church being very alive and speaking forth the gospel very plainly, that true transformation is found in Jesus Christ, not just by the good works. It is fine to build bridges, but you have to yeah. cross them. If you just build bridges and never cross them, yeah. then they're no use to anybody. That's true. It's good works with a message, of the message of, uh, of love, and, yeah and goodness yes but the the remnant have to be stand up and be counted and not not to not to say oh well i'll just go into a, a holy huddle somewhere and um i'll just uh, just build up my own faith so that i'm all right when i die you know that's not what you know that's not what you're going to be accounted for when you get to heaven it's, it's what you know what you've done other people there very good well that's that's a, a fantastic challenge i think to leave us with there, um, Cliff and Monica. Thank you so much. Um, I've really appreciated that. I'm sure everyone has learned a lot and been challenged and inspired by what you've said and by your experience as well. And we've really appreciated your time and, and having you with us today. Thank you again. Um, so thank you for joining us as well. We have another one of these gospel issues coming up in June, on June the 1st uh, with Karis Mosley. And it's actually about transgenderism, which Cliff and Monica just uh, mentioned then. How did we get to today's trans politics so join us uh, for that one on on the 1st of june at 8 p.m and we're also doing a christian concern live um just a chat about the latest week's issues this thursday at 1 p.m as well and you can join us for that on youtube or facebook again and we look forward to seeing you again do sign up for our emails as well on christianconcern.com forward slash hello and thank you for following us thank you for your support and i hope you were encouraged and challenged by what you heard tonight be blessed <laughs>